You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin. And I'm digital manager, Jack McCarran. And each week we talk to people at the centre of the pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We'll also take a look at that week's Southern Star newspaper and how our reporters all around West Cork are covering the pandemic. This week we'll also have some new music from Ardfield singer-songwriter Alan Tobin, who records under the name ADT. And also in this week's podcast, I will be talking to Seven Ocean swimmer Steve Redmond, who has recently become the first person to swim the 40 kilometres from Baltimore to the Fastnet Rock and back. But first, Jack, let's take a look at this week's newspaper. Yeah, Siobhan, on page one, we have a story about the Gardaí and reports of some illegal drinking dens in West Cork. And I suppose this is one of the stories that is always just always around in the lead up to bank holiday weekends, the Gardaí always announce that they're clamping down on something. It's usually something along the lines of drink driving or speeding, but because of the times we live in, they're clamping down on supposed drinking dens, which I haven't been invited to any yet, which I'm slightly <laughs> disappointed about, but that's besides the point for now. Um, basically, the Gardaí have said that they're receiving more and more reports of illegal drinking dens or of pubs who are perhaps not serving the substantial nine euro meal with the, the drink that they're serving. And they said that they're going to be sending out undercover guards all weekend to make sure this carry on is stamped out. What is striking about this story though, are the comments from Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan, who basically says all bars and restaurants in West Cork are deemed to be compliant so far. So despite the fact that they are clamping down, he was keen to point out that it's not like there's been an upsurge in actual... There's been an upsurge in reports, but there's been no upsurge in actual, say, we'll say convictions or yeah. actual bad behaviour. Detections. So, detections. So yeah. it's uh, positive, but they are just doubling down because they don't want any outbreaks, I guess. Yeah, and I just thought that thing about undercover cops being sent into pubs is... That's a real sign of the times. It's not what you expect our undercover cops to be doing is drinking pints and having sandwiches in the local pub and trying to keep a low profile. So you never know who you might be sitting beside these these days when you're out for a pint. Well, I think but they I had undercover it's... reporters on primetime doing a similar thing last night in RT, going into pubs and trying to, trying to catch out barmen or bar staff who are just trying to do a job. So it's a, it's a tricky situation. No one wants to be seen to be doing the wrong thing but everyone's just trying to keep up to speed with the ever-changing regulations and rules. So it's uh, yeah, tricky for all involved, I'd say. Absolutely, yeah. And um, there's also a, a good story there that we've been chasing for a while and finally confirmed this this week about Frank, uh, Brides of Frank, Frank from, from Moy, who has purchased a very substantial property in West Cork, Roscarby Convent. Now, Frank went to school, Peter Kelly's his real name, he went to school in West Cork, so he's very familiar with the area. But I think this has the potential to be a really great wedding destination. I don't know if you're familiar with Roscarby too much yourself, Jack, but it's a, it's a lovely site up there on the hill. Oh, well, I just know every time I drive through, whether you're going towards Cork or coming back from Cork and you look up onto the hill and you see that convent building and it is spectacular and I can only imagine the views from some of the windows up there are out of this world so you'd imagine that if they do manage to 
redevelop it and turn it in. Obviously, it says in the story it's a listed building, so there'll be restrictions on some of the developments they can do. But when it is redeveloped and turned into what we assume is going to be some sort of wedding venue, it is going to be spectacular. And it'll be great to see that building used again because, as I said, since I've lived in West Cork, it's been just sitting there idle. So it'll be nice to see something going on in there because, as I said, the views from there, I can only imagine, are, are out of this Gorgeous, world. yeah. And there's a lovely little um, chapel attached, which is a great bonus. There's a lot of people, you know, aren't religious, but they like the idea of getting married in a chapel, and that's been a real dilemma for people. So there's a few spots around Ireland where you can have a humanist or a, a civil ceremony in a, a former deconsecrated chapel, and I think that's the idea behind this as well, that you could have a little bit of religion in the background, if you, but not the full, the full shebang. Um, another story there about um, another COVID story, Jack, about a very unusual service that took place last week on the beach in Court McSherry. Yeah, I had a good chuckle to myself reading this one because all I could think when reading was that this Reverend, Reverend Kingsley Sutton is obviously quite a cool Reverend. And the reason I thought that was because I'll just read from the fourth part here. He says, also singing and playing guitar, Reverend Kingsley spoke about the renewed understanding of the phrase it's gone viral. He said, up until now, we usually applied that phrase to Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and other social media platforms. So he's obviously very witted, playing his guitar, commenting on the various social media platforms. So it's, it's a nice story. He's saying mass on the beach in Court Mac, a good story and photograph from Martin Weiss. But yeah, obviously a very witted priest. It kind of reminded me of Father Damo and Father Ted when I was reading it. <laughs> a little bit and I love his sign too he managed to get the sign printed up in the very same font and design as the um, the COVID signs we're used to but it says KND20 which stands for kindness 20 as opposed to COVID-19 so it's very clever of him there's also a picture on the front that links to a story inside and this is a follow-on from our last week exclusive story about the famine the famine letter that was uh, rediscovered I suppose by Skibbereen Heritage Centre and it was based on a letter that was uh, written to appeal for funds for West Cork in particular during the famine. And it was a very um, heartbreaking letter about scenes that uh, a, a Cork magistrate discovered when he went um, on a kind of a recce down to Union Hall area to see what was going on. And he heard all these devastating reports about the famine. But this couple in uh, Reen in Union Hall, and um, John is actually um, Australian, though he has Irish links, and his wife, Christina Kelly, have had the words of that letter and a second letter um, engraved in beautiful limestone plaque on the ground into um, a building on their, on their land. Now, the building was, is actually a mini replica of the Tate Modern Gallery, which he was going to do for something else, but he decided to put it on the land. And inside he's put in these two beautiful famine letters. And they also found a pot on the land which they didn't realise for a long time was one of the original famine pots, which the Quakers had brought over to feed hundreds of people out of these giant pots. And it was just sitting there on their land. So they've incorporated that now into the little, I suppose, mini museum, really. And he's hoping that after COVID, he could use it um, for schools to come and visit to see, for local schools, I suppose, to see, you know, a little reminder of the devastation of what happened there in the 1840s. So it's a beautiful story. And I think it's a really lovely piece of artwork and um and that just came to us as a result of having published that story in the letter last week that john said look hey maybe you'd be interested in this what i've done on my own land yeah and it's a great photograph as you say that goes with it by 
Oscar Kelly on page two. Was, um, John's son. Yeah. John's son. So there you go. So uh, yeah, yeah. a family affair. Just on page two, then, Siobhan, we have the reward of €5,000 being offered for info on 23 poisoned buzzards. And this is a story by Kieran O'Matney and the opening power reads, a reward of €5,000 is being offered for further information leading to the prosecution of those responsible for the deliberate poisoning of 23 buzzards in Cork, in West Cork earlier this year. And this is obviously a story that you and the team have covered extensively over the last few months following the discovery of dead buzzards in West Cork, a, a, a species of bird that's only been reintroduced into Ireland or has been preserved in Ireland over the last couple of years. Yeah, they're a magnificent bird. I don't know, I, I, I think I saw one myself there a few months back, but I mean, they have a massive wingspan. They're almost like hawks. They're, um, there was a second incident over near Cale Kill as well that we discovered a few months after this one had happened where there was a bait tray left down and the locals were very annoyed about that one because they were afraid, you know, dogs walking in the area would, would come across it. But it's a, a group called the Amica Projects and they basically put money together to kind of tackle, you know, wildlife crime, I suppose you could say, and, and animal welfare problems. And uh, they've a massive ad on page 11 of the paper this week, a full page ad um, saying enough, enough of these killings. Please let's find out what's, who's doing it, why they're doing it. And so that we can stop it and have, you know, high profile prosecutions to deter people from doing this. So it's just a very unusual story and um, unusual, I suppose, for a group like that to take out a full page ad in a newspaper, you know, appealing for help. Do we know, and, uh, what, that, do we know what potential motive someone would have for wanting to poison these birds are they a danger to livestock for example are they well according to farms um, or, or, or 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 what's what is there any reason well, that, we, the, that we potentially the have no the ifa have said in the past as far as i recall that they're a, they're a friend of of farmers you know they take away a lot of, of their smaller predators and um but they couldn't see any reason for that and there was a kind of a bizarre theory that there was some kind of sadistic cult involved because there had been a claim that some of the birds' heads were chopped off, but then that wasn't substantiated. So at the moment, I think part of the reason for this ad is that people just are not sure exactly what's happening, and that's why they're looking for information. So it's a, re it's a real mystery. It's a very unusual one. And I suppose we'll, we'll keep following that one as the summer and autumn progress. Any other stories then, Siobhan, we want to touch on? I just like the, the story on... Uh, page three about the outdoor seating in Bandon. You know the way all the towns now are trying to make a big effort. I was in Cork City this week now and an awful lot of the streets are, are devoted to outdoor eating or sections of the street. And um, they've done a really nice job in Bandon and it's only, it's not finished yet, but they have some really nice outdoor seating, giant planting um, areas sectioned off and they have wheelchair access right up against it, which means, you know, people can, people with a disability can get right up up close in their vehicles nobody else of course is supposed to be parking too close and um it's just a really nice idea now my own fear is that this is all well and lovely june july and august maybe even september but there's been a few hairy november decembers and january's in west cork in the last few years as regards storms and i'm not sure how the whole eating outdoor concept is going to survive the winters if we still have social distancing indoors, so it's, it's all to play for there, but at least towns are getting their act together and um, County Council has a, an initiative called Project ACT, 
appropriately and this is part of it so i think well done to all there anyway yeah absolutely i was admiring that picture as well it's great to see irish towns finally embracing that kind of european culture of outdoor dining outdoor drinking outdoor having your cup of coffee i know we don't get to weather that yeah, often but when we do it is nice to sit outside exactly but there's one other story there now which is a kind of a counterpoint to that and it's beside it is about peer drinking in Skull and I, I kind of had to have a gig on myself at this one because um, it was, you know, some tourists had posted pictures of, of a whole load of beer bottles and whiskey bottles and all the rest on the pier in Skull and I think this is a problem that's been going on in Skull for quite a while but uh, as someone who didn't grow up beside the sea per se, uh, we used to call it bush drinking and I just like the way in West Cork it's called peer drinking. <laughs> because people tend to gravitate to the peers, uh, younger people, um, and especially now, whatever problem we had with it in the past, now that the pubs aren't open yet, unless you're sitting down for a meal, there's even more of a reason, I suppose, to go and find a scenic spot and bring your, your off-license drinks with you. But I don't think anyone would have much of a problem if there isn't any, you know, antisocial behaviour attached and if they would just put their bottles away. And the problem in Skull is that there is a there's a bottle bank right beside the pier and yet people still still leave their beer bottles there so that's just it's a bit of a shame there i think it just needs a little bit of maybe um community spirit there to get people engaged i do think it's a, a a huge problem that we have in ireland in that we don't seem to be able to as a collective clean up after having parties in public spaces and that's probably why gardy are generally so strict on preventing people from drinking in public spaces because when you go out to some of the big parks major parks in london or across europe people all spend their saturdays socializing in the parks during the summer and drinking but they all clean up after themselves so the police don't have much to worry about but as you say this would all be fine and dandy if people were willing to clean up after themselves i was in the hinch a few weeks ago and what they do there is cliff drinking so even more dangerous than peer drinking as well all the young people congregate on one of the cliffs overlooking the beach and drink and have their cans and have their whatever young people do but again they leave the mess behind them and then that upsets people in the town so you have to give Just the young people education the free- needed. you have to give the young people the freedom to enjoy themselves especially when mm. the was a night of their clothes but they also have to take it upon themselves to clean up after themselves so then everyone's happy so that would just be yeah i think it just takes a bit of education it's a new it's a new environment for us at the minute and you know we took well to getting rid of the plastic bags not smoking in pubs you know so i think it's just another thing we can embrace eventually hopefully (laughs) hopefully Um, and then there's a nice celebrity story there jack of um quite a lot of celebs spotted as is the norm in summertime west cork yeah i suppose that it reinforces that we've all made the right decisions to live down in West Cork. When you see so many people coming all on... All those blow-ins. Yeah. <laughs> when you see so many people coming on their holidays down to West Cork, it's the same every summer. Obviously, Saoirse Ronan has been a regular visitor. We had pictures of her in the paper a couple of weeks back. But last week, it was the hottest property in the Irish television and film industry. And that's, of course, Paul Meskel of Normal People. He was in Kinsale. He took pictures with the staff at the Acton Hotel and he looked to be enjoying himself. He was supposedly on holidays with some famous American singer or actor who I actually wasn't too familiar with, but maybe that's because I'm not as cool as I think I am. And uh, <laughs> Phoebe, even... Bridgers, Phoebe Bridgers is her, is her name, um, Jack, you know, for your information. She's an <laughs> indie star in um, America. 
well, the, the musicians who were also in West Cork at the weekend, who I'd have more interest and in, know more about, so this again says more about me, is um, Keith Duffy and Brian McFadden of Boyzone and Westlife fame. And they were in the salubrious surroundings of Centra in Riverstick. And they also seem to be really enjoying themselves. And uh, Graeme Norton is back again, as is the norm. We're nearly tired of poor old Graeme now at this stage. He's back every summer, but he was uh, dining out in Bandon uh, during the week. So nice to welcome Graeme home again for a few weeks. And then just one little feature I wanted to mention, because I think it kind of ties in with the whole West Cork summer, COVID, the whole thing, is that camping is back in vogue. And speaking of coolness, camping is now cool. So Jack, are you going to be renting a camper van or getting your, your electric picnic tent and dusting it off and bringing it down to Crookhaven for the weekend? Uh, well, I mentioned that I was in Lahinch up in Clare a few weeks ago, and I did actually indulge in some camping while I was there. So I've also jumped on this camping bandwagon. But what I haven't done is camp in West Cork just yet, because when you have a house in West Cork, it's kind of hard to camp outside. So when I do my touring around, I generally go back home in the evenings. But I did notice the amount of people that were camping. I'd done a kind of a tour around the Bear Peninsula last week, and I stopped in on the way down for a look at the campsite in Ballylicky, which was absolutely jam-packed. And why wouldn't it be? The views from that campsite are absolutely incredible. I went on then down as far as Glengariff. Again, stopped into the campsite, just out of curiosity more than anything. Packed, the sun was shining. People were all sitting outside their tents and their campers, having a great old time. Went on then to Alihees. Again, there's a kind of a camping area beside the beach there, absolutely packed with tents and camper vans. So people really are embracing it. And as it says in Martha's story here in this week's Southern Star, all the people who run these campsites have noted the upsurge in inquiries and bookings from Irish tourists, whereas usually they'd be getting tourists from the UK or from different parts of Europe. This year, it's all Irish people, which is great to see because the cliche is Ireland, a great little country, if you could put a roof on it. And it is one of the greatest countries in the world when the sun is shining. And so why not enjoy the scenery that we have on our doorstep? And so when you have a chance to camp at the like of Alihees Beach or England Gareth or in Ballylicky, like there's no better holiday you could really imagine. And there's been so many complaints from people in Ireland talking about how expensive it is to holiday in Ireland when they can't go to Spain for the cheap seven-day all-in hotels. But camping is a very affordable option and um, it's good to see people taking advantage of that option. Absolutely. And do we have a bumper sports section this week, so you might just give us a few details on that, Jack. We're back to a 28-pager, I think. Yeah, well, after a dormant number of months where Kieran McCarthy, our sports editor, was having to be very creative with how he filled his 12 or 16-page sports sections with all sorts of kooky features. Sport is back. We've we counted the number of West Cork clubs that were in action last weekend, and there were over 40, and that's 40 clubs, most of them with various different teams between men's football, junior juveniles, football and hurling, camogie, ladies football. So there's 23 pages of GAA coverage in this week's sports section. The big stories, of course, Castlehaven overcoming Carberry Rangers in the West Cork group of death, Skibbereen got their campaign up and running. And there was also a great result for the West Cork ladies who drew with county champions, Moran Abbey. So there's loads of GAA in this week's sports section. So if you've been starved of the GAA over the last few months, you're in for a good time this weekend. Brilliant. So um, thanks for that, Jack. 
And I think you have some details there of how to get the paper. If I do, of course, to the shops this weekend. Everyone knows my main job at the Southern Star is to shill the newspaper. So don't forget, if you can't get to the shops this week, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab. Or you can call the office on 028-212-00 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. And you can get everything we discussed there, the news section, the life section, and the sports section, for as little as two euro a week when you subscribe online. Now, this week's interview. Sea swimmer Steve Redmond was the first person to complete the Seven Oceans Challenge and just over a week ago he became the first person to swim to the Fastnet Rock and back. Although he always praises his backroom team and his family for encouraging him, there's no doubt he is one of the world's most determined and successful sea swimmers. I spoke to him earlier about his passion for the ocean, his training regime, and asked him to share some of his technique tips too. So good morning, Steve. And um, tell me first, am I right in thinking you're a Kildare man, you're Castle Dermot, that's kind of on the border with Carlo? Yeah, well, my, my parents' house is in Carlo and we work, we'll drive up the road and we're in Kildare kind of thing, for, right on the borders of both of the counties. But I, I was born in London and brought back over here in 74. So uh, we based ourselves in Carlo. Uh, so it's kind of, a, this is an odd situation. I live in West Cork. I'm married to a lady from West Cork, Anne Coughlin from West Cork. So uh, when when I was young in London, I, I swam all the time, six, seven days a week in Shepherd's Bush and Lime Grove out pools and uh, just loved the water. It's the only thing I was ever kind of very good at, local soccer and team sports and things like that. So uh, uh, when we came back over here, we had nothing except the thigh opened up uh, around 20 miles away, 15 miles away. And uh, so we had no pool. So I thought it was coming back to the dark ages, really, in 1974. So I'm an old guy. I was born in 65. Uh, so um, I'm pretty old now. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a peculiar sport for a guy from Kildare, Carlo, I guess. And London. But, um, <laughs> and London, yeah. Yeah, and London. But uh, I went back to London when I was around 20 and uh, played a lot of rugby and uh was very, very heavy, not a sporty type person. I was around 22 stone, 21 stone for a lot of my life, 19 stone. And got into rugby, was prop, very unfit. Uh, drank a lot, ate a lot. Uh, always a problem with my weight kind of thing. So uh, always, attack, always battle food. I see food as an enemy, really, which is getting off the subject here now. But just to give you a bit of background. Um, yeah. I ran a couple of pubs. So uh, I came back over here to buy a pub. And uh, thank God my wife didn't let me. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be around by now, I guess. I probably wouldn't be and, and do you still uh, like... I don't that? drink anymore. I was just going to it. ask, if that's not very compatible, I'd say, with the kind of training you'd be doing. No, no. When when the, when we had our first child, Sive, I kind of gave up. I, you know, you go through a stage where you had enough drinking and this is repetition, repetition, repetition. And... It was, uh, it was the next day, you know, in Ireland, you, you know, you worry about the next day having a drink that night before. And uh, I just said, to hell with this. I'm getting too old for this. I've seen enough. And I uh, just stopped. Uh, and um, not really interested. Uh, a can of Red Bull now or, or a pint of water will put me over the edge now kind of thing. And um, 
<laughs> I don't really need it. You know, I, I, you know, I say it was more kind of always like everybody kind of you just needed to relax the alcohol, and uh, I, I don't, I don't bother anymore. I can go out and I can sit in a pub. I, I work here in Rosie's here at the, if they need me, you know, for the jazz festivals and stuff like that in Balderhub. And, um, but it, it's not a big deal now, thank God. Like, Right. So, um, and, I, it, it never helped with the training either, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine um, you, you definitely have to go off it while you're training anyway. But uh, just bring me back a little bit. Is there anybody in your family who was involved in swimming? Don't, you know, going no, back a generation nobody, ago, no, nobody at all. Uh, they're all farmers or all work, just work very hard all the time. Uh, no no sportsmen really involved in my family, a couple of journalists, a uh, uh, couple of barristers and things like that from my, my mom's side. But uh, no, uh, it was, it's a very strange, I don't know how I got into it. Let's be brutally honest. Uh, you fall into these things and you realize that this is where you should be. And uh, you go, you go further in and you explore them and uh, you see there's a whole different avenue that you can go. My wife hates swimming. Like my wife is like a, a white shark when she's about to bite you when they start talking about swimming the eyes just roll up at the back of her head and she says oh not again <laughs> so but I'm an obsessive I'm a, a comp I think I'm a compulsive obsessive I must admit well tell me about your wife because for all her dislike of swimming she is the reason I suppose in one way that you're where you are because first of all West Cork and you always say that it's one of the best places if not the best place in the world for swimming so when you came to Cork was when you really, it really kicked in. Is that right? Yeah, I met my wife in London. So, and uh, she brought me back over here for a week. And uh, I just kind of spent the whole week in, near the water. We're very near the water in Valdehub and Skull and, and, and Baltimore and, and Skibbereen. And uh, I just loved it. And uh, I was drawn to it, constantly drawn to it. And um, she really... She really was, is the reason, uh, as I say, she's been on the boats on, for the first swim and the North Channel swim. We call them the animator feeder. That's what they call like, that, that person on the boat. And she's the person that I would see just at uh, 45, 50 minutes. And she would give me the food and ask me, am I okay? And do I need anything for the next one? And just keep it positive uh, and always positive and never, ever allow any chink of doubt to come into the to the equation and uh, it was the same on this last swim very same on this last swim she told Kieran Collins that you know if one shoulder goes he swims with the other shoulder if they both go he kicks and we'll eventually get there and she made sure I heard that and uh, as I say I was out getting dry and no one said to me you didn't moan at all today sir you know because normally I can moan for like the Queen of England I can moan <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm very very good at it you but know, is it is it like the tree is it like the tree in the forest, Steve? Does anyone hear you when you're moaning out there 20 miles from Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, when I get up for a feed, I can really give them 20 or 30 seconds of verbal abuse. You know, this is not going right. And I, my shoulder is going. And, but it, it, if, if I start doing that, it's, it's kind of like building a, a statue out of salt. You, you know, you have the next 40 minutes to worry about what you've just said. And is my shoulder going? And is there a niggle there? And, and things like that and uh, it just builds and builds and builds it's uh, like an elastic band or a domino race it it just cracks your brain uh, and well, on this swim we we I, we learned a lot from the previous 10 hour training swim and we developed a couple of ideas like i kicked a lot more i kicked for what 10 12 15 hours of this swim i kicked just a dabble but it was a kick 
which I normally don't do. Uh, I normally try to save the energy for the shoulders. Uh, uh, that was a thing I developed in the Ocean 7. But for this one, we had to be a little bit faster and it worked. Uh, it was, we, were, uh, we also developed the idea of the swimmer coming in to, at the, the fast at rock because that was where the problem was always turning around at the rock and getting going to get back two or three miles. Once that was done, we were fine again. It's all, it was all just the, these certain things kicking in. And my, my wife knew all this and she, we had this all planned in the meeting beforehand and uh, she, herself and Kieran executed it. And uh, they, they did a lot of whale watching. There was lots of whales out there and uh, they enjoyed the day. <laughs> they could just feed me every 50 minutes and read the book then and do the stroke count and make sure he's somewhere around the boat kind of thing, wandering around aimlessly and keep, give out to me if I wasn't doing something right. But uh, you, you need certain people with you to get you so far. And uh, their faith then pushes you further. And, like if you have five people on a boat for 10, 12 hours, They've wasted a lot of their time, their life trying to get you to do this. And you, 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 uh, you owe them. And I always put it like that. I owe them and I, I can't let them down. And with, with, uh, I call it, uh, emotional. I'm a very emotional guy. I probably start crying with you now in the next 20 minutes. I swear to God. I'm, I'm not <laughs> I, very I, good I, with people I, like I, that. So please. Oh God. <laughs> I, I can cry. See in the goggles, they can't see me crying. The breakdown every now and again, and just having a good cry for us. I keep going. But uh, with my wife and my daughter on the boat, it was it was kind of virtually like that. The Japanese call it the perfect day, the per the the, uh, the 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 apple blossom, the cherry blossom day. The, when we were in Japan, we were always looking for this cherry blossom day, which was the perfect day for the swim. And that was the cherry blossom day. With my my daughter getting into swim with me, it was just amazing, amazing to have her next to me. But she wouldn't let me stop either. So uh, these are the people I've met have changed me and pushed me further and they're doing it every day and it's, it's just when you go in the water you come back kind of different for, no even if it's only just a hundred meter swim and that's i think the attraction to everybody you come back kind of cleansed or you know christ i didn't think i could do that or i didn't think I could get to the island of lachine and that's what people are doing now you know and it's 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 it's, it's just marvelous but isn't there um there's actual research now about the effect of water and especially salt water, I think, on the mind. You know, this theory of the blue mind. I mean, do you believe that, that there is something specific there that changes your I, 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 def I definitely think there's something in the water down here. But uh, then I'd be biased now from the water down here. I, for the last month after the training swim I spent, I was going to Loch Eyne at five o'clock in the morning. And once I got over the initial what the hell am I doing here at five o'clock in the morning and got in the water. It was like meeting Jesus. I, I, you know, it really was, you were just letting go of control and the water was, was holding you up and taking you. And that, and that, that becomes an ethereal and a pervasive thing in your mind that the water is going to protect you and hold you up. And I, that's what I think after 10 hours, anyway, I'm in a trance. I, I'm virtually in a trance because I've kind of self-hypnotized myself to stop thinking. Another lesson that we learned from a lady here, a psychotherapist helped me to self-hypnose. Another lesson we learned was to uh, accept, if I had a niggle on my shoulder, accept that pain, think about it for a minute, and then just put it away, let it go. Don't hold on to it. And uh, That's what I think a lot of people do when they swim. They let go of what they have on land, and if they don't concentrate on what they're doing in the, in the water, they're not coming back. And then when they come back to the shore, they're happy for what they have. It's, you know, it's, it's a small little thing, you know, well, I'm happy I've done that. 
And uh, now I can face the day and uh, I'm capable of doing something that nobody else can do. And uh, it really is that simple. Does that make sense or is it too kooky? Well, no, <laughs> I think sometimes I, I'm a little bit crazy. No, no, I, I totally get you. I do a bit of swimming myself and I, I, I totally understand that. Um, when you did the Seven Oceans, did you set out to do that or was because I suppose if you maybe just explain it a little bit, it's kind of it's channel swims yeah. in a lot, isn't it? In a lot of instances, it's 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 it was developed by a guy called Steve Monotonis, who runs the, the World Open Water Swimming Association. And it was basically uh, seven channels dotted all around the world, seven of the most difficult channels, and the, the peaks, the equivalent of the, of the seven peaks. Uh, for mountain climbing, but this was the aquatic equation. There were the, the English Channel, the Cook Straits, uh, the Suguru Channel in Japan, the Molokai in Hawaii, the Catalina in um, California, and Gibraltar, and the North Channel, of course, between Northern Ireland and Scotland. And no one had ever completed all seven. And uh, we didn't know anything about it. I just did the English Channel. I was, as I say, I was training a lot of triathlon and doing longer stuff and realized that I kind of like being alone and being out there just surviving and uh, relying on myself. And um, a friend of mine was training, John Carney was training for English Channel. I trained with him, really enjoyed it in Loch And at the time I was in a wetsuit, you know, I couldn't figure out this going into skins at all, which is the rule. You see, you're in skins with a pair of togs and a bit of grease, earplugs, goggles, and that's it. You know, completely open to the, it's like John would describe it as kind of climbing a mountain naked crawling up a mountain naked that's the best way of talking about swimming you know you're, you face everything and you deal with it and it, it, everything in the water hits you so and everything in the water is trying to either kill you or hurt you or, or push you back or make you fail and uh, the, the, this is how we, we kind of got into it but i just did the english channel and uh, the following year john john tried twice and unfortunately never made it he was only a mile offshore when the tide took him which was just a killer a uh, great swimmer great a very driven man and um, unfortunately he never made it but uh, we did it with my wife on board uh, uh, in 2009 August 2009 coming back on the boat uh, we got a, a call from a friend of mine uh, who was watching the swim you can watch these swims we normally have a tracker on the boat and everybody can watch them develop it's a little spot and you just click keep clicking into it for the whole day and see how slow the guy is going or how fast the guy is going and and uh he rang me and said it's great to see steve it was amazing to watch it also got great news that he got clear of cancer uh, and uh i was kind of after being up for around 30 hours so i really wasn't with it and listening to this and I couldn't get over this. It was just amazing. Uh, Tomas was uh, clear and uh, it'll be okay. But uh, two months later, he was dead. And um, this this really knocked. You know, I, I talk kind of call them foundation blocks in your life. You know, anyone that I always look at the people that have gone before me as better than I am. And I always kind of relate to them. And they worked harder and they were better and they were great people. And you know, I always relate to relations and this is where I get emotional kind of thing, you know, but he was gone and I, I couldn't get over it. So I said, we have to do something here. And I didn't even know about North Channel. I didn't know about Ocean Sevens, nothing like that. And uh, I didn't even know there was another swim across from Scotland to Northern Ireland because it hadn't been done for eight years. Uh, and a lady from Donegal was trying it and she'd failed three twice before me. And uh, we looked at it and said, look, it's in our own country. Let's go and try this. 
not realizing that in the steam there's the, the hardest swim of the lot it was around 10 degrees the day i did it and full of jellyfish the size of your car and uh it's just they hunt in packs and uh the major reason that nobody could accomplish it because they kept getting stung by them and had to get out and go into anaphylactic we got that in uh, i think 17 hours uh yet again my wife just told the skipper to steam on leave him there if he comes near the boat if he starts moaning throttle the boat on don't this is what he wanted you know and uh my brother was uh the, the backup swimmer there and he's a GA player he's a different kind of shape for me he's a thin hardy guy and he came in in the dark and hadn't done a whole lot of swimming and I think he lasted around five minutes before he could get out in a full wetsuit and uh, I I owed him and uh, this is how we we got it you know and um, then uh, we are finished and after every swim I always say to, to everyone who's listening uh, that's it no more never again and um, I said that definitely after the North Channel because it took an awful lot I, I was 18 and a half stone. I lost a stone on the swim just in fluid and from, from the cold water. Uh, we uh, didn't know about this. Uh, we got an email in the middle of winter. This is what pro- happens. A lot of problems with these things are that you get these ideas in the winter and you have the whole winter to think about them. <laughs> and then you say, oh, well, let's have a go. And uh, Monotones emailed me and uh, he's become a great friend with Steve Monotones and uh, Ned Dennison in Cork. And he says, uh, well, for Steve, now you've got the two hardest channels done. Why don't you do the other five? Not even knowing what he was talking about. And uh, we looked at these things and uh, he said, this is, this is crackers. This is absolutely crazy. But um, a couple of buddies came on board, Noel Brown and uh, Dave Williams. And uh, we looked at it kind of laterally, like uh, we were in the middle of the recession at the time. I think around 2009, 2010, and there was no money in. We burned to, what, three credit I think I finished paying off the swims there in January, the credit cards. I finally finished paying them off because that's what we did Gibraltar as it was in Europe. And then we looked around for help, for sponsorship. Frankie Sheehan gave, gave us some ideas and gave us some help. And we did a lot of fundraising. And the guys thought up this idea of, well, look, Molokai and California are in the same country. Why don't you go and do the two of them within two weeks of each other? Uh, channel swim normally takes around six months to recover from <laughs> so i said oh yeah that's a great idea <laughs> well we did a bit of fundraising the, the guys took that that worry about money out of my 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 possession so all i had to do was train and uh they organized the fundraising kind of thing and we did the charity uh coffee mornings and the poker drive and that they they waxed me which is was the the hardest thing I ever did in my life. They waxed my chest and things like that. Harder than being stung by jellyfish. Up harder than I the, the pain that we went through. But uh, this is how we got into it. And uh, once you get into something and you get so far in, uh, and we were told so many times, like uh, like nearly every swimmer we've been told, look, why why bother? You know, you have no coach, you have no money. You have no pool to train in. You know, I was training in the West Lodge and in Baltimore, which are 16-meter pools. And you, know, there was three or four other people doing it, a, guy, a girl called Penny Palfrey from Australia and uh, a, guy from, two, a, guy, a guy from England and a guy from America. So there was a kind of race going on, and these were far better swimmers than I was. But uh, it, it just became a kind of a, a notion of pride. Like, let's, let's show these guys we can do this thing. And... Uh, we have the North Channel. None of them had the North Channel. And Penny, poor Penny came over and she, she never, she, she's one of the best swimmers I've ever seen in my life. And she, she just got too cold. 
up there and uh, it just you know it beat her and that's what it, it just wears you down and you you can't you think you're swimming and you when you're going into hypothermia and you're, you're actually just thrashing but um that's how really how we got into it and uh, it took on a life of its own and everybody in west cork and carlo and uh, became open water experts like i'd be i'd be training and uh, there'd be guys down coming down to have a swim a lap with me and there'd be another guy ready when i come back in an hour and 10 minutes later and he'd swim a lap with me and uh, it and everybody here uh, they're very different from i suppose carlo even as well it's a more it's a very small community everybody knows each other and everybody's connected and you know everybody knows what you're doing kind of thing you know and and it was great, and uh, it just we we couldn't fail them in the end, and we got it. We got the seventh. We were lucky with them. Yeah. It was an amazing achievement. But then you weren't happy with that, Steve, and you had to find the next uh, aquatic mountain to climb. We'll say. So Fastnet, I think, had been on your radar for quite a while. You'd you'd gone out to the Fastnet, but you hadn't done the round trip. So no, we 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 had done two swims from Baltimore to the fast at the skull as training swims for the long Molokai. Molokai was 60 miles, Hawaii. And we'd done this long, long swim and uh, we were in the water for 20 hours there. Uh, but uh, we'd done these two swims from uh, Baltimore out around the fast net and into skull, one with John Carney as the pilot and one with Kieran Collins as pilot. And we realized it could be done. Uh, we never even uh, thought about this before, and and we realized, geez, this is some, this is an iconic place. We did the one of the training swims just the day after the the fastnet race when the, the yacht turned over, and the American uh, crew were on the pier after being rescued. Uh, do you remember the yacht turned over at the at, out there, and the keel yeah. the keel broke off, and they were watching us go out and. We all said it out prayer together. <laughs> we went out. They thought we were absolutely crackers swimming out. And then when we got to the fast, that there were still yachts coming around, and uh, they are uh, the, the the lifeboat guy. Uh, sorry, the the light the coast guard. Where the, there were radio in the coast guard saying there was somebody in the water out here. You know, do you know them? They were saying, yeah, just take no notice, just keep going. That's just Steve. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just that's just Steve. Because a cousin of mine actually works in uh, up in Kerry in the, in the, the station. So he said, just take no notice. For God's sake, keep going. And uh, we got this swim, and we realized this is incredible. The water out here, the the clarity, it's far better than some of the swims we've done, and uh, it's right in our own back door. And we said, maybe we could get out and come back. Is that feasible? And both John and Kieran looked at it and said, look, it's really, really difficult because of the tide and the problems you have between Cape and the Fastnet. The, the water there, they call a river. Like you go out there today and then you go out tomorrow and it's, it's completely different every time you go out there. So nobody can judge what it's going to be doing. And there's also... And, uh, we just looked at it. Sherkin and Cape Fear is a bit of a problem too. Gascon, that's that's a, that's a dreadful place. I I try to keep. I have nightmares about that place. It's it's because it's the water just gets. They call it the suck. You get sucked in there. You don't come out. You can't get out because the water just holds you in there for, until the tide turns, and then you're beggared. You just can't get beyond it. Uh, so and and between that and the jellyfish exploding off you like a machine gun fire coming through it, uh, the small little jellies and everything comes that comes through it. It's just like a, 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 a shaking a bottle of lemonade and opening the cap. That's the best way of describing that place. And it just all hits you as you're coming alongside it. So we try to keep out around a mile, two miles, but even then there's still, there's still a huge effect in the water. So uh, it, it really was a technical swim. And uh, 
unfortunately, as I say, I'm a tad obsessional. So <laughs> I spent the last four years trying to get this win. And um, finally, we got it there on the 20th. We finally got it on the 20th. And that was actually, I think, around eight years after we finished Japan. I think we finished Japan on Bastille Day in 2011 or 12. And I think it was eight years to the day nearly because my Facebook was my, reminded me of these memories of Japan. So it was kind of a very strange myself and Noel Brown still together on a boat, but just in a different country back at home. So, it, 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 you know, I had a little cry about that as well, I can tell you. Well, you can really cry about this because I think the one thing it's probably immaterial to you at this stage but the one thing that really affects people when they when they read about you is the, the jellyfish because the fear that jellyfish put in people for even one sting and you're surrounded by hundreds or, or maybe thousands how do you mentally if when you're heading for them and you know you can't avoid them how do you mentally get beyond that to, to plow through and how do you cope with the pain you well you're cold so you you the, the jellyfish is kind of like a, a very, very severe electric shock kind of hitting you on the face or on the arms or somewhere, you know, or across your chest normally. That's what they normally, you normally swim straight into the bloody thing. Uh, you know they're coming. That's what the whole thing is with it. And you know they'll be gone. I always say thanks, thank you very much, and just swipe them away or kick them away, unless they're, it's very bad. And then normally, as you know, you do everything in the water. So you you go to the bathroom in the water unfortunately and the urine supposedly helps the ammonia in the urine supposedly helps so you have a little you go to the bathroom and this seemingly warms you up i'm sorry it's disgusting it warms you up around your body and this seemingly helps but uh, no it's just you you take it as a thank you and uh you unless you get into a huge swarm with them you 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 know you can get through it and uh, you, you just have to realize your, you, that they you were spoke they're, about they're them, there you spoke on, about them stinging your, on your face, tongue Steve. yeah, on your, yeah tongue. on your tongue on your nose and up your nose they'll always get there they'll always go right across your face and kind of brand you you know you have a branding of the strand kind of thing across your face but you have vaseline on and cream on and uh, that kind of semi protects you and you can't do anything about it because they're, they're there and uh, they were there before you came and this is their water you know, you have to say you're the you're the intruder here, so to hell with it, like and, and just get on with it. But it it is kind of scary. The unknown is scary, and you have to. That's what I always when we started last Monday week last on the twentieth. It was four o'clock in the morning, and the the, the harbor was full of jellies, and it was pitch dark, just coming on. You know, the, the dark is before the dawn, and you had to just go. And and it was like shaking the dog, uh, the tail of the monster of a dragon again. Like you know, I'm here again. What the hell am I doing? I'm actually paying for this, you know, I'm paying for the pleasure of this. And uh, you, you just have to push off from the slip and, and leave everything, you know, behind you and uh, forget about uh, what, what they, you can give up at any time. This is, and it's just, I always work it out as a, like four years of training and they're all condensed into 15 hours of my life. And uh, that's what they're all for, that 15 hours. And it's the same with everybody's life. You, know, you can give up at any time. You can stop doing what you're doing. You can sit at home. You can you know, admit that you're no good. You can say, you know, I, I, I'm not doing that anymore. Or you can keep going. And uh, no one told me to stop kicking. That's, what I, that's the way I always say to myself. No one ever told me to stop kicking. And uh, I have Father Cahill in Lachine. And uh, he, he was a great uh, sportsman in his day. And he's huge faith in me. and. Uh, 
he always gives me a, a rosary bead to hold, bring with me, and he, he says a prayer, and we have a blessing, and then we do have, I always, as I say, have a definite cry when I meet that man. And um, he, uh, he, he, the faith that that guy has, you know, that's, that's where you're going. And if you could have that power, you know, nothing can stop you. And that's what I say about the people down in West Cork and in Cork City and all around the county, very different from everywhere else. You know, and they, they, you know, they, they, they always have a comment about you and they'll always say, oh, well, you're bloody too old to do that. Why the hell are you bothering? And they, they really are only pushing you on, pushing on to be better. And uh, the, this, with the jellyfish, you know, they were there. You know, you, you have to get over it. If you touch them, yeah, it's a bit scary. Uh, but you move on and you get by them and then you realize, you know, that, well, I've beaten the jellyfish. And uh, hopefully there won't be any more, but there's always more jellyfish. Always, and there's always, the, I always equate it to life. Well, there's always more jellyfish and there's always more challenges. Have you got something else up your sleeve now? Well, I was talking to uh, Noel and, and Kieran and I was talking to, Carol Cashel in, in Cork and she says look do a do a couple of weeks of just fun swimming and uh, see where your body is and um, you know we have a swim maybe from we're looking at Castletown there to Crookhaven in the next maybe three or four weeks like uh, looking out though it, it's real Irish bank holiday weather here it's, it's not very pleasant but uh, we're kind of toying with that idea we don't know yet uh, if we can organize a boat up there and, and do it as easily as possible. We might go and have a look at it. But uh, we also have uh, seven swimmers coming down to do Fastnet now in the next month. So we've got to be on the boat supporting them and bringing them in. We have a guy coming down the week after next week, actually. Hopefully the weather will improve. We'll go out to the Fastnet and get him in. Uh, because we, we, as I say, we're, it's really opening that up as a swim for people you know the open water swimmers in ireland and the world to come over and do it and uh, to say you've swam fast that you know holy god it's just it's, it's just that's what they all want to you have the first lady has done it and first lady has swam from uh, mizzen to the fast net and there's a whole lot of things that people can do that uh, to achieve something that nobody else has and uh, really swimming the fast net to the baltimore is something not too not many people have not many people at all, and uh, it's it's just a, it's just an amazing swim. Probably one of the best in the world for the technicality of it all. Yeah, you know, I was reading some of the stories on the the Fastnet Swim website last night, and I think Maeve was it was the first. Yeah. Well, and uh, there are fabulous That's stories right. to read if you're interested in swimming, because like you say, there's something about swimmers when they're talking about swimming. They do get very emotional and passionate, and they they makes a lovely read as a result. So I'd advise people maybe to go on yeah. there and have a read of them. But can I ask you a real um, anarchy question now about your technique? And do you spend much time perfecting your technique? Because you talk about other people being better swimmers, and you talk then as well about you didn't use your legs much except on this swim. So do you spend much time thinking about the actual technique you use? Steve? Oh, uh, oh yeah. The way I train, I, I, I train in Loch Ine, I shoreline all around Loch Ine. So I'm, I'm virtually alone a lot of the time because I need to be alone for the, for the swim. So I don't like training with people. And they're all faster than me as well, which is another downer. I get depressed <laughs> swimming with these young guys and these guys shooting off miles ahead of me. I was like, oh, Jesus. So uh, I tend to swim alone. But uh, yeah, I, I, work, I, I worked a fair bit with the total immersion. And I went to Abbey, Abbey uh, Strad Valley to a, a lady up there. She has a, 
uh, endless pool and she can video your stroke and video what you're doing in the water and show you where you're going wrong. And we worked a lot with that kind of trying to make the swim effortless. And um, we, we train, unfortunately, when you're training by yourself, you, you get bad habits, you know, you work into bad habits. And uh, so you have to every now and again, have somebody look at you. So I have Steve Black, uh, Sarah McKnight and uh, Noel and Nathan Timmons have a good look at my stroke. And uh, the, the, the great thing about open water swimmers is they're very direct and very straight. And they tell you, you really are useless. <laughs> it's really so bad. And, you know, you're doing something wrong with your left arm. And swimmers, I don't know if you swim with anybody, but swimmers are like uh, the way they recognize whales. You know, they recognize whales from the stroke. back of their tail. The swimmer, you can recognize from their stroke. One has a diff- one arm is a different stroke from the other and things like that. And uh, I keep my head down and I don't kick a lot. And so they know it's me coming. And, uh, but uh, that's, that's how it is. But I, I tweaked it a lot. Uh, after the, the, the 10-hour training swim, which we learned an awful lot from this time, uh, we we went back into full rotation with my my arm instead of uh, lifting with my, leading with my shoulder. I went into full rotation with my arm and just brought the kicking back in, which was very difficult for the first two three weeks, going from virtually no kicking to kicking all the time. Uh, so I'd be kicking away, and then I'd say, "Jesus, my stroke is going to hell here now." And uh, then I'd be kick, uh, stroking, and I'd forget to kick. So it was all a bit of a mix and match, but it, it, it's constant. Uh, Gary Minahan has a, a drone and he chopped it up in the air. And he'd video analysis my stroke and show. And you see, if you can see it, you see where you're going wrong and you can vector it then and try and change it. But it, it was really just a case of getting the, a, a little bit more pace into the swim, you know, just bringing maybe a half a kilometer or an hour back into the, into the water and not using up too much more energy doing it. And the, that, that's where we went with this one. And we'd stay there now. We'd stay kicking now. Uh, we initially thought about not kicking because of the water we were going into was so cold, like the North Channel. If you kick, uh, they always say you you have to send blood down to your extremities, down to your toes, and then it comes back super cold to your heart and puts your body under severe pressure. So that's basically where we got into that idea of not kicking so much. Uh, and um, unfortunately, as I say, we, we went into virtually effortless swimming, trying to be effortless. And uh, streamline. And if you see me now, I'm I'm not very streamlined. I'm an ugly bugger. I'm I'm fasting this week now. Thank God, I'm I'm kind of gone off food uh, for the the three days before the swim last week. I took on about seven thousand calories each day. So and and when I was training, I'd uh, have a breakfast roll. Unfortunately, as a reward after two hours in the water, I'd hit uh, Trevor Hegarty's and Skibreen have to have a breakfast roll, and that's all gone had my last breakfast roll and had, we had a big ceremony about this because food is a, a major reward for swimmers i swear to god cake mm. swimming uh, coffee cake ice cream elbows <laughs> my god <laughs> you know so uh, i am stripping off weight this week but it's just funny it's very easy to do i, I just kind of like fasting and i, I can just stop you know, i just go down to two meals a day and uh, go down below a thousand calories and uh, is that, but not, we, is that just, not dangerous, um, Steve? What they call the you know the flip flop dieting? Flip flop, yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't flip flop. I just kind of fast and and eat, take on high protein, and uh, I do that for around a week and I stop. I go back to eating very small and just smaller meals, white bread and you know the basic. Uh, I wouldn't drink fizzy drinks, but white bread and cheese and butter is really my killer. You know, I could come home and have two toasted cheese sandwiches. Uh, twice maybe you know in two hours and things like that just because i thought i was using the, the calories up in the water 
and I, I wouldn't be. So it, it goes on very quick. But uh, oh, and, and thank God I, I did put it on for this swim because the water is unseasonably cold and people are going to be very wary this weekend because it will be cold after all this rain. Okay. Like the water never got up over 12 degrees in Baltimore that day, only for the sun on my back. Uh, I, I don't think we would have made it at all because we, we came back in and got a core temperature and it was very, very cold. So it was the hot eat? feeds. Steve, what do you eat while you're swimming I, every 30 minutes, is it? Uh, every, no, every 50 minutes. Every 50 minutes they give me a hot feed. I use a hammer uh, product called Perpetuum. And it's just a tub of uh, carbohydrate with protein mixing it. And uh, it tastes like coffee. After a couple of hours in the water, you can't taste anything anyway. Your tongue, your taste buds get lined with salt, so it doesn't make any difference. But it it's kind of tastes like coffee, and they put a couple of spoons of sugar in that, and they heat it up. So it, it tastes like a, a, a good cup of nice coffee, really, when you drink it down. And you have 500 mils, <clears throat> sorry, you have 500 mils of that, and uh, they throw it to me on a line on a, in a shaker bottle. I just flick the lid, drink it down in around 10 seconds, if I want mouthwash, they throw me a bottle of mouthwash, weak mouthwash, they let me rinse my mouth. If I want a Milky Way or a half banana, they have that ready as well and they can chuck it to me. <clears throat> I'm like a seal, I just catch it and eat it and you're gone again. You try to, you try to take on around 800 calories every hour, but you're burning around 1,400. So, you know, you have to have that little bit of weight reserve and you're carb loaded before the swim. But unbeknown uh, to me, on the way back in on the swim, they went to every 40 minutes. So it, it's, it's, if I want to mess with my head, I try to remember how many feeds I've had from the very beginning. And, I go, and then I look at the sun, because they don't tell me the time on the boat. They wouldn't tell me how long I've been in the water. They don't tell me how long the swim has been going on. They don't tell me what time it is in the day, nothing. I don't need to know that. So... Uh, they went to 40 minutes on the way back in. And for some unknown reason, this, this really worked because I thought it was 50 minutes. So I thought time was actually going very quickly, you know, between, this, between the breaks. I thought, geez, that was 50 minutes. That went really quick. Isn't this great? And uh, <laughs> they told me afterwards what they'd done without telling me. Psychological. Everything is in the head. Everything mm. on, in, in open water, an awful lot of it is in the head. And as I say, if they, they put the ladder down and give me an option of getting out on the way back in, I probably would have gone to the ladder, you know. You know, you want to get out. You, you, you realize, what the God damn am I doing in here? Like, you know, I'm not making any headway. But uh, Kieran Collins was, was just spot on with his tide. We, we went a mile and a half down south of, of Fastnet and uh, took a, a sharp left and aimed for the beacon in Baltimore. And I never seen Cape. For the whole swim, I, the first bit of land I seen was the just after the Gascons was Shirkin, and uh, once I hit Shirkin, I, I I I know I'm not going to, I I know I got, I can make it from here. That's mm -hmm. only two hours, two and a half hours in, like you know. So it's all psychological. But the, the hammer yeah. nutrition, everybody has different things. So there's high five and there's loads of other things, you know. And the guy, the guys in the edge are always giving me. Can, that's my favorite shop. If you, I don't know if you've ever been in the edge. So it's. One of the triathlon shop, and uh, I go up there, and uh, the guys smile. There's another victim coming in the door, like you know, and just they they sample stuff on me to experiment with, and uh, I get all my gear there from them guys, and they're always uh, just they like Simon come was on the pier that night when we finished the swim, so it's just uh, support from everybody, but it's just to find what works for you. Like I would always advise people that are going swimming to have a hot drink before they go into the water, even in the summer. 
because your core then is a bit warmer and you don't go into kind of so much shock and you can last a bit longer in the water. I always take hot feeds, summer or winter when I'm swimming. And that, that works for me. Some people don't, but uh, mm-hmm. it's to find out what works. And I, I, would, I, always, I would also always take a little bit of sugar. You know, I, Red Bull, I was like, like that decaf. I like that when it's not fizzy. And I, I like caffeine. Some people don't like caffeine. But uh, you, you just have to be very wary of the water. The only, the only places I've ever really been in trouble was when I got too cocky in Loch Ine and went out one evening on a very big tide and got caught and could not get back in at the far side of the island. Got caught, but the tide was coming in there. And so you just have to be wary always in the water. You just never know when it's going to bite you. But um, I've been fortunate there. And uh, that the nutrition works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to puke the whole thing up. You have to take a shot of, like, for instance, on one of the fasted skulls, uh, the feed wasn't working. It had blocked. And uh, I took a mouthful of salt water, retched the whole thing up, had a milky way and some mouthwash, had a small lighter feed and got going again. But uh, they say when you start getting sick in the sea, you can't stop. So uh, it's horses for courses. Mm. But there's a lot. To, you learn a lot from other people and the open water people will help you. That's the great thing. It's not like a, the triathlon and uh, things like that, which I was involved in. I have a bike in the shed. There's three and a half grand and it's a thing of beauty. I think it's an art form to be honest, but uh, you know, the bikes now are even better than that. And you know, everybody has got helmets on and everybody's all about the seconds. But in the open water swimming, you know, if you come to me and ask me, what am I doing wrong here? You know, we go for a swim, we'll have a chat about it, we'll have a look and we'll see if we can help. And that's the great thing about open water swimming. Everybody will give everybody advice. And it's a, it's a real easy community. Yeah, it's a real easy community to get on with. And it's a social thing. See, that, that is a nice lead into the fact that you decided there last week that um, you were going to raise funds for the RNLI as a result of the Fastnet Swim. And I know that it's very close to your heart because these are the guys that are going to pick you out of the water if things do go badly wrong. <laughs> eventually, eventually, they, say, they, they have my number. <laughs> <laughs> They're always there yeah, somewhere in the they, background they, keeping an eye. Uh, but it is they, a very they, it they is incredibly important. I just noticed this week alone we had three pretty major rescues in West Cork um, by the Arnalai guys. And of course, it is a volunteer service. So, do you want to just say a few words about them and how important it is? Oh, abs- absolutely. We are actually doing a campaign for the bank holiday now for the RNLI for water safety. And uh, we just, you know, for people coming down, I seem to notice, I don't know if you noticed, but there's an awful lot more people around and there's an awful lot more people using the, the shorelines and the seas. And this, if they're going to go to the beach, they have to try and find a beach that's lifeguarded and swim between the flags. And, you know, don't be a dinosaur. You know, that's what I always say to me. Don't be dumb. Like, you know, if you have an inflatable, leave it, sit in it on the beach. But don't put it in the sea. It doesn't belong in there. You know, it's, it's, it's lovely to look at. Uh, uh, but don't get in it. Like them two guys up in Roscobbery, that, that's a miracle, you know, that that fishing boat seen them in that inflatable from little, no life preservers. Like... I was training three weeks ago, a very bad day, Saturday, a very big wind in Loch Ayn, and I was doing a shoreline, and these guys came down with an inflatable, and they had just bought it. And they were just in the ordinary clothes, and they jumped into it. They put their phones into bags, all right, but they had no life preserver. I said, you, you can't be seriously going out there. You know, you're going to get blown. And they got blown over to the big house in Loch Ayn, everybody knows. And it took them around 40 minutes to get from the big house to the main pier. 
and their car was on the small pier and they came back over to me and I was after five hours in the water just doing shoreline up and down. Misery, misery, grinding swims. And uh, it took them three hours to get back, you know, from, you know, that's how it can just turn in a a flash. One minute you can be 10 10 meters from the shore. The next minute you're 500 meters. That's a half a kilometer. And uh, that's an hour to get back in against the wind. And people don't get it. You know, and, and when you're in the water, as I say, like in a swim, if things start going wrong, things go wrong really quick. And uh, you, people are putting pressure on the island I this weekend. And, and uh, they are fearful. This weekend is always the, the banger weekend. The whole country is on full alert and everybody has their pager on. And, and unfortunately, the, there will be people rescued. And please God, everyone will be okay. But... It's, as I say, don't be a dinosaur. Where the hell are you going? If you think it's dumb, just don't do it. And uh, we didn't, we wanted to dedicate the swim to the RNLI before the swim, but we failed so many times that we didn't have the nerve or the courage maybe this time to do it. So we have it dedicated and it's up on their Facebook page because their swim in Union Hall was supposed to be last weekend and they couldn't do it because of the corona. And that's their main fundraising swim for Pamela DC down there. And Kieran Collins is on the lifeboat crew in Baltimore. So and John Carney, the whole lot. And you're affected. You're you're in. Everybody's interweave with these people. And the little girl, the heart girl that rescued two or three weeks ago, miracle, bloody nobody, you know, an absolute miracle that that girl is, is safe and well. And nobody else could have done it. So um, you know, any anyone that's going out in the water has to be. It's kind of like the coronavirus. You have to take responsibility for yourself. Don't don't be bloody stupid. But unfortunately, things happen. Things happen, you know. I and as I say, the, the, these guys have my number. They'll be picking me up someday too, and they'll have a big smile on their face the day they get me. We finally got oh, you, Steve. They might just—they finally got me. Think so. But um, yes, definitely, just stay, stay safe and enjoy the wa- the water. If it's raining, you know, go for a walk. But uh, just don't don't go crazy, you know, because um, it goes it goes wrong so quick. And that's the, the frightening thing about the sea. So listen, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, congratulations again on a fantastic achievement. And here's to the next one. Hopefully, hopefully. I hope it was all made sense to you all. And uh, thanks, everybody, for everybody for the support and um, the continued support. And um, it's for, that was more of a swim for the oldies among us as well. You know, the, these young guys are fast, but the oldies, you know, we're kind of used to the pain and we know we only want to see the end. And that was for the oldies. Neely Harwin types. I don't know if you know Neely Harwin. He's a guy I used to work with. And uh, he, he is a big drive in my life. Uh, changed the way I thought about things and how, you know, giving up. He made me stop giving up. And, um, you know, that's and Skibberine. Most of the people in Skibberine, they, they never let me give up. So thanks very much. Well done. Thank you. This week's music comes from Ardfield native singer-songwriter Alan Tobin, a member of local group Low Mountain. He is also about to launch his first solo album under the name ADT. This is the second single from the forthcoming album and was released last Friday. It's called Love Lost on the Streets of New York and the video features some stunning drone shots of the Big Apple during lockdown, which was shot by New York firm Drone Fanatic. So here is ADT with Love Lost on the Streets of New York. Pushing through the streets On an open top bus Sitting next to you For a 
different view of the city of mist. We had your first kiss with that boy from school. He played the fool and praying for the rains to fall down. In rivers or buckets, I don't give a shit. Driving you into my arms, oh mercy. How did we ever give up? Why did we ever give up? We thought it was absolute love. Oh mercy, how do we fall out of love? Why did we ever give up? We thought it was absolute love. Thank you for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie